0: Now, this might be all throwing you off. You're wondering, is this going to be a super long sermon today because the preacher's already up? Uh, I want to tell you it's not going to be. It's going to be a unique Sunday, though. We are going to look at our message today in three parts. And between these three parts, we're going to sing and celebrate the gracious pursuit of our loving God. So I want to welcome you here in Carrollton and all of you who are joining us online. We're so grateful to be a part together in this moment. We've been talking about how God uniquely pursues each and every one of us. And how when a loving God pursues us, we get to go on a journey of lovingly pursuing those within our reach. And today in our time together, we're going to look at the story of a runaway missionary, a runaway slave, and how God uniquely pursued them. And in their story and through their story, God not only used the great apostle Paul, but he changed the apostle Paul. It's going to be a fascinating time as we dive into the stories of God's word. Now, um, I'm going to be sharing some of the passages of scripture with you, but not all of them. Not all of the verses that form these stories, but in your app, in your Bentry app, if you're logged into your app, you can actually do that now. You'll find under today's message certain notes. And in the notes section of today's message, you'll find all the verses that form today's message and all the verses that really come together to make these stories incredible for us. So join us and follow along in our app if you don't mind. The first story I want to tell you today is about a runaway missionary, a runaway missionary. And this story is for you if you've ever felt like you've let God down, or you've let others down in the process, if you feel like you've disappointed God, if you feel like you didn't do what you said you would do, or you walked away from a certain calling in ministry or in your Christian life, and if you feel stuck in the shame of failure, this story is for you. This story is for you if you feel like you've let God Almighty down. The name of the runaway missionary is John Mark, John Mark. John is his Jewish name and Mark is his Gentile name, so his name is John Mark. We meet John Mark in Acts chapter 12 when Peter is delivered out of prison. If you remember that story in Acts, an angel shows up in prison as Peter is there and he begins to open the gates of the prison, miraculously, and Peter gets to leave prison because God rescues them, him. And as soon as he leaves prison, he goes to a certain home that he was intimately familiar with. And in the story of Acts 12, this is where we pick up in verse 12. As soon as he realized this, meaning as soon as he realized what was happening, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was called Mark, where many had assembled and were praying. As soon as Peter realizes this incredible rescue operation from God to deliver his life, he goes to Mary's house. So obviously, this isn't the first time he's been to Mary's house. Mary was a well-known leader, I imagine, in the first century church. In fact, as she was wealthy, she was able to own a home where many could be gathered. And Many speculate that this is the home where Jesus held the last supper meal. And she had a son named John Mark. So imagine John Mark has been around Jesus. And Peter has been to this house often, perhaps preaching the gospel from this very home. Maybe John Mark came to faith in Christ by the preaching of the apostle Peter. During this time, there is great persecution that is ramping up against the church. But at the same time, there is an incredible move of God. Acts 12 goes on to say that the word of God flourished and multiplied. Gospel ministry was taking place all over the world. And for the first time, Paul and Barnabas, you may remember those names, Paul and Barnabas, these two, this twin tower of missionaries, they go to Antioch and plant the first Gentile church in Antioch. The first Gentile church in Antioch. And there was a revival taking place in Antioch. As a revival is taking place in Antioch, there is a famine taking place in Jerusalem. A famine in Jerusalem. So Paul and Barnabas leave Antioch and come to Jerusalem to give donations that have been collected by this Gentile church in Antioch to bless the Jewish brothers in Jerusalem. As they disperse these funds to these struggling churches in Jerusalem, it's time to go back to Antioch. But they decided, we got a third traveler we need to take back. Let's take an additional person with us. And Barnabas says, well, I've got a cousin named John Mark. That's usually not good when it starts like that. But he says, I know somebody. I got somebody in my family that I think would be a great person to take with us. He spent time with Peter. He has perhaps met Jesus. He's a great guy. He comes from a great family, a great pedigree. Let's take John Mark back to Antioch with us. And they do. They go back to Antioch, and from there... Paul and Barnabas are commissioned and sent on their first missionary journey. And they take John Mark with them. Acts 13 says that John Mark accompanied them as an assistant, as an errand boy pretty much. This was a training program for this aspiring missionary, this young man by the name of John Mark, to join Paul and Barnabas. How amazing would that have been? To be literally with the two greatest missionaries perhaps ever to live. To plant churches for the first time in in pockets and villages and towns and countries. To see all of this unfold before your own eyes. What a remarkable moment for John Mark. But during this missionary journey, it got difficult. So difficult that John Mark decided to leave and abandon the trip. He decided to leave the trip. Later on, Paul was said he deserted us. He abandoned the good work of the mission. He left them. Now, we don't know all the reasons why John Mark left, but we know that this was an emotionally draining trip. It was a physically challenging trip. And as John Mark is on this first missionary trip with Paul and Barnabas, he says, I've had enough. I cannot take this any longer. I'm leaving. Perhaps he faced the hardship of being on this trip and maybe looked towards. Going to prison because he's on this trip. And he said, I can't deal with this persecution, this hardship. I'm leaving. And he abandons and leaves the mission trip. He deserts them. But Paul and Barnabas finish the mission trip. They come back home. And before long, they get an itch to go back again on a mission journey. Their second trip. And notice where the story picks up in Acts 15, verse 36 onwards. After some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in every town where we have preached the word of God and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take along John, who was called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the work. Verse 39 says, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed. After being commended by the brothers and sisters to the grace of the Lord... Wow, look at this moment, a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, these two incredible Christian leaders in the early church. Over who? Over John Mark. They were fighting about John Mark. Barnabas, whose name literally means the son of encouragement, wants to give John Mark another chance and take him with him. If you're into the Enneagram, I think Barnabas would have been a strong seven. He's this enthusiast. Just go on to give people a second chance and forgive and believe the best about them. But Paul would have been a strong one. The strong-willed, justice-oriented reformer who will not change his position for anything. Do you know anybody like that? Don't nudge him if you do. But he won't change his position. (laughs) Barnabas is like, let's take John Mark. And Paul is like, no way. He deserted us once. I'm not taking him back ever again and they go their separate ways. Barnabas takes Mark and gets him out of town and goes to Cyprus. Paul takes Silas. Imagine what this would have felt like to John Mark. To John Mark. To know you were the reason for splitting up the dream team. (laughs) Like single-handedly, you split up these two amazing missionaries. You caused them to go their separate ways. Imagine what he's feeling, and even to know here that in Jerusalem, the leaders of the church commended Paul for not taking John Mark and going his separate way with Silas, meaning the church agreed that this was a good choice by Paul, meaning John Mark is carrying this emblem of failure and rejection and abandonment. He's feeling shame. He's stuck in failure in ministry. Others are seeing him as the one who has deserted them, as one who has left them. He has split apart Barnabas and Paul. Now he carries the emblem of cowardice, failure in ministry. John Mark had come from a great family. He had everything going for him, a great pedigree, but now he is the reason for an embarrassing schism in the first church. For the next 10 years... John Mark disappears from the annals of church history. You can't find him anywhere. He disappears. I wonder what he was doing in those 10 years. What was he feeling? What did he go through? What would you be feeling if you're in his shoes? Imagine he felt the pain of unfaithfulness in ministry often. He probably went through a major ministry crisis, an identity struggle, wondering if he was ever going to be good enough to be used by God after deserting Paul and Barnabas and carrying this emblem of failure. I wonder what he felt during these these years. I imagine in those early years, he probably came to agree with the assessment of others that he indeed was useless in God's work. Nothing good can ever come out of my life. For 10 years, John Mark is missing in the story of the early church. But then 10 years later, he pops up again. Ten years later, his name comes up again. You know where it comes up? Paul talks about John Mark. Paul is in his first imprisonment in Colossae, in Rome rather. He's in prison in Rome and he begins to write his pastoral epistles, his prison epistles. And he writes a letter to the church in Colossae, the letter of Colossians. And as Paul ends the letter of Colossians, he writes this in Colossians 4, verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings, as does Mark, as does Mark, who is who, Barnabas' cousin, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Welcome him. Wait, what? What is going on in the story? Isn't this the cousin of Barnabas, John Mark, that you vehemently opposed coming on a journey with you, that you and Barnabas splitting up over? Isn't this the one you wanted nothing to do with? But in 10 years, something changed. John Mark is reconciled into a relationship with the Apostle Paul. But not only that, he is restored to ministry with the Apostle Paul. And John Mark, who at once didn't want to go to prison because of missions, is now in prison with Paul, serving him, caring for ministry, being used by God's work. Something drastically changed in these 10 years. What happened? I think in those 10 years, John Mark went and found Peter. He went and found Peter. I said, Peter, I have messed up. I've been unfaithful in ministry. I've abandoned the mission. I left Paul and Barnabas. I know I did wrong, but could you walk with me? Could you restore me? I've seen you in my house often. Could you walk with me, Peter? I want to be used again. I don't want to be stuck in the shame of my failure. Could you show me grace? You know, I think what Peter would have said, Peter would have said to John Mark, John Mark, can I tell you a story? of the time I deserted Jesus. I didn't just desert his mission, I deserted him. I abandoned him, I denied him three times. I failed my mission too. But guess what, Jesus was so gracious to me. He restored me, he showed me kindness and mercy and if that grace is available to me, John Mark, it can be available to you as well. Why do I believe that John Mark spent these extensive years with Peter? It's because of this. When Peter writes 1 Peter while in Rome, notice how Peter ends the letter of 1 Peter that we looked at last few months ago. Peter ends this letter with this statement in 1 Peter 5 verse 13. She who is in Babylon, and Babylon represented Rome, she who is in Rome, chosen together with you, sends you greetings as does Mark, my son. She who's in Babylon in Rome sends you greetings, as does Mark, my son. We're led to believe that John Mark accompanied Peter in the last few years of his life. Here, John Mark is with Peter. He's been restored back to ministry with Peter, showing grace and walking with John Mark. And here, John Mark is with Peter. He's no longer stuck In the place of his failure, he's been restored to ministry. But the story gets even better. Paul, during his second imprisonment in Rome, begins to write to a young man named Timothy. And Paul writes, 2 Timothy, and Paul is nearing his end here. And he's got a deep desire in his heart for someone to be with him. And notice what Paul writes to young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9 to 11. Make every effort to come to me soon because Demas has deserted me since he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. And then Paul says, bring Mark with you for he is useful in the ministry. He's useful to me in the ministry. Bring Mark with you you. John Mark accompanied Peter during the end of his ministry, and now Paul is saying, as I face the end of my life, I need John Mark with me. I know I stood opposed to him. I know I disagreed with Barnabas regarding him. Once he was useless on the journey of missions. But now he is so useful to me. I need him with me as I finish this journey. Bring Mark to me. What an incredible turnaround. So John Mark accompanied Peter in the last few years of his life. And most likely accompanied Paul as he faced his end. And church history tells us that it was John Mark who took the gospel all the way to Africa. As he began to plant churches in Egypt and the gospel broke out in power through John Mark. You know what else is really neat about John Mark? Because John Mark had spent so much time with Peter, he would write down and begin to write the first account of the life of Jesus. He would write the stories that Peter shared with Mark. The teachings of Jesus as he heard it from Peter and he would write the very first account of the life of Jesus. We call it the Gospel of Mark. And it would be from that Gospel that Matthew and Luke will use as their primary source as they tell their account, their version of the Gospel. What a turnaround, huh? This runaway missionary becomes a remarkable Gospel writer. This teller of hope, of grace, because he experienced it. He was a runaway failed missionary, stuck in shame, stuck in guilt, but now he is a phenomenal gospel writer. How? Why? Because although John Mark had abandoned God's mission, God's mission never abandoned John Mark. Although he had left the mission of God, he abandoned the work of God, the work of God, the love of God, the mission of God, never for a moment abandoned John Mark. God kept pursuing him. God kept loving him. God kept showing up in his guilt and his shame and his failure. God kept relentlessly pursuing him. Maybe you're here today, and you feel like you failed God at some moment in your life. You feel like your commitment towards God has waxed and waned in some way. But here's the good news. God's commitment to you has never changed, friend. God's love towards you has never changed. You might have felt like you let God down, but here's the good news of the gospel. You were never holding him up in the first place. His love towards you don't change. It doesn't change. He is pursuing you. He is relentless about you today and committed to your story, the pain in your story, the letdowns in your story, as He has ever been. You may look through the rearview mirror of your life and see the failed missions, the lost opportunities, the letdowns, the deserted moments. But today, God is redirecting the angle of your view and He's saying, no longer look back, but look forward with me. Look forward with me, I can still use you. I still got a plan for you, I've got a purpose for your life. Look forward to the future with me. Look forward to the future with the lens of God's grace. Here's what I want to say to you. Don't let your past mistakes, don't let your past failure leave you stuck, paralyzed by your past. Don't let it condemn you into a useless life or sad existence today. Look forward into the future. Because God does take graves and changes them into gardens. He takes runaway missionaries, makes them writers of His gospel. Would you stand with me today? I want you to sing and thank God for His grace that picked you up, turned you around, put you on solid ground, wherever that is. And wherever you've ran from, whatever calling of God you have run from, today God is saying, let me change the direction of your view. Look forward with me. Look at my grace that picks you up and transforms your story. Runaway missionaries into writers of his gospel.
1: Church, hope you're ready to celebrate the transformation of the gospel. It's true of my story. It's true of your story. Let's sing together. We're wandering into the night, wanting a place to hide this weary soul, this vagabond. I tried with all my might, but I just came in the fight. and slowly drifting in the back Just when, just when I rest.
0: Into testimonies, our struggle into significance. Come on, church, let's give Jesus one more ovation of praise and say thank you, God, for the turnaround. You may be seated for just another, little bit longer. I don't know how long, but we're going to keep going. If you grew up in Catholic mass, it may feel a little bit like that. You're up and down, up and down. So you heard the story of a runaway missionary that turned into a gospel writer. Now I want to tell you the story of a runaway slave, a runaway slave. Slavery is slavery, and there might have been difference in the slavery of first century Rome and the 17th and 18th century America, but slavery is evil in every form. It is evil in every single form. I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that's combating modern-day slavery in the space of human trafficking, we've got an amazing team that's mobilizing our church to end the slavery today in human sexual trafficking, not only in the world, but here in our city. Here in our city. So I invite you, if you're totally surprised by that or want to be involved, engage with us. We've got monthly classes and outreaches that take place. engage with our church community in ending the slavery of today. Slavery in every form is evil. In the first century, there was an urban slave by the name of Onesimus. Onesimus. Onesimus belonged to a master named Philemon. Philemon. Philemon became a Christian because Paul led Philemon to Christ. And he was a leader in the Colossian church. By every account we have, we're led to believe that Philemon was a kind, gracious, fair man. He was a fair master to Onesimus. But despite of that, Onesimus decides to run away from Philemon's home. He decides to break free and leave Philemon. Most likely, he probably stole everything he could from Philemon in the process of running away from his master. So he goes from Colossae all the way to Rome. From Colossae to Rome. Here's a map of maybe his journey from Colossae to Rome. That's a long ways away. It's actually 1,200 miles Away from home. He has to get on roads and boats. Spend any money he earned and any money he stole probably to get to Rome. But he needed to get to Rome. Why? Because Rome was the place to go to if you wanted to be unrecognized. You went to Rome to get away, to be hidden in the crowd. It was the most populated city of that time. With nearly 800 to 900,000 people. So if you want to go, away to go away and hide, get away, you went to Rome. So Onesimus goes to Rome, and through God's divine providence, guess who he meets? The Apostle Paul. He meets Paul. Now, we don't know how he met Paul. It could have been that maybe Onesimus got in some trouble and was put in house arrest or something for a short season, because here Paul is in prison, in house arrest, in Rome. Onesimus meets Paul. Maybe Onesimus was experimenting with all of the wonderful pleasures of Rome that were offered to him. He's thinking that's what he needed in life. And maybe one day he came to the end of himself and realized, I'm empty. I need something more. I've got questions for my soul. I'm so empty inside. And maybe somebody told him, there's a missionary in house arrest named Paul. Go see him. Maybe you can ask your questions to him. One way or another, Onesimus meets the Apostle Paul. And guess what, Paul does? He leads him to Jesus. Paul was, prison guards must have been so frustrated with Paul. Anytime you put him in prison, more people are getting saved. Paul leads Onesimus to Christ. He begins to disciple him, he begins to teach him the gospel. And during that journey, as they're spending these moments together, Onesimus begins to open up to Paul about his journey, about his story. And Onesimus says, Paul, I gotta be honest with you, I gotta tell you the truth. I'm actually not from Rome. I'm from Colossae. And Paul would have said, Colossae? He must have perked up. I know Colossae. I've never been there personally, but I've got friends there. Oh, tell me more. What were you doing in Colossae? And Esimus would have said, well, I belonged to a master named Philemon, who was good and gracious to me. Paul would have gotten even more excited. Philemon? What a small world. I know Philemon. I led him to Christ. Imagine in that moment, Onesimus would have shrugged back. You know when you're in the middle of a story and you realize, I don't want to finish the story, what do I do now? (laughs) This is one of those moments where he's telling his story to Paul and maybe wanted to shrug back because he's afraid of what Paul may think of him when he tells him the truth of what he did to Philemon. But nevertheless, Onesimus finishes the story and says, Paul, Philemon was good to me, but I ran from him, maybe even stole from him. I rebelled and I ran, and he finishes the story. Paul, as he hears Onesimus' story, has an idea, and Paul says, I've got an idea, Onesimus, what if I stood on your behalf and I wrote a letter for you and I sent you to deliver this letter to Philemon? What if I represented you? I know Philemon, I know he loves me, I know he would trust me. What if I gave you this letter and you took it to Philemon? to which Onesimus would have protested and said, no, 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 Mr. Paul, that's not a good idea at all. (laughs) Like, don't you know the Roman law? That a runaway slave, if he's caught, is to be treated so harshly and even killed. There was a a fear in Rome of slave uprising. So they took harsh, extreme measures to silence the sound of the slaves. And any, any runaway slave was to be treated so severely and harshly. At minimum, Anissimus would have been branded with the word fugitive on his forehead. Anissimus is not sure about going back, but he's a brand new Christian. He wants to do what's right, so he trusts God. Takes the letter from Paul that he wrote and heads to Colossae. Gets back on the road, a long journey, and goes to Philemon. Imagine he gets to Philemon finally and is standing at the gate of Philemon's house. Imagine all that would be going through his mind. Is this the last few hours of my freedom? If Philemon does what he is in his right to do, if he treats me justly, this will perhaps be the end of my life. How long will he wait before he hands me over to Roman authorities? Is this the end of my freedom? Eventually Philemon opens the gate and I can't imagine that before Philemon could get a single word out, Onesimus pleads with Philemon, Philemon, I know you may want to do some things to me, but please, before you do anything, before you take any action, I've got a letter, and I'm just begging you for a few seconds, would you read this letter that I've personally wanted to deliver to you? Please read this letter. So Philemon opens up the letter and begins to read. And we have this letter. It's called Philemon. Written by Paul to Onesimus, a runaway slave. About Onesimus to Philemon. I want to read you an excerpt from this letter. Philemon verse verse 9 onwards. Here's what Philemon is reading from the apostle Paul regarding Onesimus. I, Paul, as an elderly man... And now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Appeal to you, my son, Onesimus. For my son, Onesimus. I became his father while I was in chains. Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. Interestingly enough, Onesimus' name means useful. and Paul is saying, I know he didn't live up to his name. He was not useful to you. But now God's changed him. And he's going to live up to his name. Paul goes on in verse 12 and says, I am sending him back to you, and I am sending my very own heart. Notice how affectionate Paul is towards Anissimus. I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that your good deed might not be out of obligation, but of your own free will. For perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time, so that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. He is especially so to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe me even your very self. (laughs) No pressure. But by the way, remember that I led you to Jesus. You owe me your own self. Wow, what a request from the Apostle Paul to Philemon. This is a request From Paul to Philemon to withhold justice from Onesimus. To withhold what he should rightly do to Onesimus. But it's a request for mercy. To withhold justice and to provide mercy. But Paul goes from mercy to grace. See, mercy is withholding what you do deserve, but grace is giving you what you do not deserve. Mercy is withholding what you earned rightly, what you owe, what you deserve. But grace is pouring out, giving what you don't deserve and what you could have never earned. Notice this request of incredible radical grace to Philemon from Paul. Look at verse 15 and 17 again. That you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. No longer a slave, but a brother then he says, So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would me. Welcome this runaway slave, maybe even a stealing thief, as you would welcome me, the apostle, great Paul. What a request of grace that takes a slave as a brother and treats a brother as the apostle. That's a call to radical. Grace. So Paul says, when he comes back, treat him no longer as a slave but a brother. Treat him just like you would treat me. And then Paul inserts himself into the equation. And he says this to Philemon in verse 18 and 19. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Put it on my MasterCard. like Put it on my account. And why? Because I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. I will repay it. Paul is not asking Philemon to ignore and erase his debt, Onesimus' debt. No, no, no. Paul is asking Philemon to transfer his debt to Paul, to transfer it to Paul and saying, I will repay whatever he owes. If Onesimus is left with the charges on his account, he'll never be able to pay it back. He'll forever be a slave as long as he lives. He'll never be able to repay it. But Paul steps in and says, don't make Onesimus pay for his debt. Let me pay for his debt. So that when I cancel his debt, when I pay off his debt, not only is he relationally free, he is judicially free. He is legally free. He will be declared innocent and free of any debt. He will have a new title. He will have a new status. Legally free. Because I'm willing to pay his debt. Friends, isn't this the breathtaking story of the gospel? Isn't this the gospel we sing about? That we were the Onesimus in the story. Our father was loving and gracious and kind to us. But we ran We sought after our own desires and our own passions and we left as far as we could go. And we came to the end of ourselves and realized at some point, I need a savior. This isn't working. I cannot be my Lord. I cannot be my savior. I need God. And there Jesus plays the role of the apostle Paul and he becomes our mediator. He stands on our account and God doesn't ignore our debt. Jesus paid our debt. Our debt just didn't magically disappear. No, no, no. Someone had to pay it in full, and that's what Jesus does on the cross. For six hours, Jesus would hang on an old rugged cross in Calvary, and there he would absorb the full wrath that we were owed. The charge on our account would fall on Jesus, and he will take it all in so that through his perfect payment, his sacrifice we could be forgiven. That's mercy. Yeah. So that God could withhold what we were owed and we could go free. But it doesn't stop there. We went from slavery to sonship and from sonship to being the ambassadors of Jesus Christ. He clothed us in perfection, in righteousness, and He elevates us to a position with Christ that we could have never earned, didn't deserve, and could have never worked for. That's the grace of Almighty. God, our debt is paid. We have sonship, daughtership. We are made ambassadors of Almighty God and we are declared free. Free judicially, free legally. And the Father wraps His arms around us and receives us just as He receives His only begotten Son. Paul said to Philemon, treat Him as you would treat me. Jesus said to the Father, receive them. As you received me received in the beloved exactly imagine this exactly in the same way Jesus was just as the father sees Christ he sees you so what happened to Onesimus what did Philemon do with him church history tells us that Philemon listened to Paul and Paul told Philemon I'm coming to see you in person in person by the way And Philemon not just received him, he embraced him, he forgave him, he received him truly as a brother. He treated Philemon with extraordinary, I'm sorry, he treated Onesimus with extraordinary grace. The second century uh, historian by the name of Ignatius and others like him begin to write about Onesimus in this story becoming the bishop of Ephesus, becoming the pastor the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus where Paul himself pastored for many years. That Onesimus would become the pastor in the church of Ephesus. This runaway slave becomes a bishop. Scholars say that it was Onesimus who would gather the various letters of the apostle Paul and preserve them. Letters like Colossians and Philemon and preserve them for our edification. What a blessing that Onesimus would Gather the letters of Paul. runaway slave turned into a bishop, preserving the letters of Paul. Here's what I want you to know from the story, that God's grace outpaces us in our running. God's grace outpaces us. You may be running from God or want to run from God. Here's the story of his grace. His grace pursues you faster and stronger and further than you could ever run from him further than you could ever run from God, His grace runs faster towards you. You may be running to whatever your roam is, wherever you're trying to get away, wherever you're trying to hide, whatever pleasure you may be seeking, and you're thinking, there's no way that I could ever go back. There's no way I could call on Almighty God. But the good news of the Gospel is He outpaces you. He pursues you with grace that is stronger, even more stubborn than we can ever imagine. And when you encounter His grace, you encounter mercy and grace he withholds from you what you deserve and pours out on you what you could have never earned gives you a new identity erases your debt forgives you in Christ and get this when you meet him when you encounter grace he doesn't make you go back to square one and start again you begin with where Jesus is you begin with where Jesus is. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to earn anything. The moment you repent, the moment you say, I need a savior, the Father elevates you to where Jesus is, seated with him in heavenly places, clothed in his righteousness. This is the radical, good grace of God. Can you stand with us as we sing about this grace, and as we sing, will you remember? Your journey, your story of how grace pursued you faster than you could ever run from God. How he came, he showed up in moments where you thought nobody could reach you. You thought it was over, but his grace found you. He raises you. He gives you mercy and grace and puts you right back where Jesus himself. be seated for just a couple more minutes as we come to a close. A runaway missionary turned into a gospel writer, a runaway slave turned into a bishop. Maybe you're thinking, well, these stories aren't really that connected, but actually there's a fascinating moment where these two individuals, their story actually meet. It's a remarkable moment. See, where Onesimus, when he comes and sees the apostle Paul in Rome during his first imprisonment, do you know who's right next to Paul? Paul. John Mark. John Mark is right there. When, earlier in Colossians, we read how John Mark, Barnabas' cousin, is with Paul. Well, it's in the same imprisonment that Paul wrote Colossians and Philemon. And in fact, in Colossians, Paul says, by the way, Onesimus is with me, as he's writing Colossians. And then when he writes to Philemon about Onesimus, notice how he ends the letter to Philemon in verse 23 to 24. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark. So do Mark, John Mark is right there. As Anisimus comes and Paul writes to Philemon, he's with John Mark right there. I imagine when Anisimus is pouring out all of the reasons to why he doesn't want to go back to Philemon, Paul says, Onesimus, can I tell you a story now? I think he probably looked at John Mark and began to encourage Onesimus, saying, I wanted nothing to do with this man. He had deserted me. I was so mad that he abandoned the mission that he ran. He left. Just when we were in great need, he left us. I was so mad. And if he was in cancel culture, he would have said, I canceled him out. But then God changed my heart. God changed the way I viewed him. And I've learned the joy by the power of grace of receiving back a brother that I was so mad about. And let me tell you, Anisimus, the same God who changed my heart can change Philemon's heart. Because I've been where Philemon is, feeling wronged and deserted, but God changed my heart. See, I think what motivated Paul to write to Philemon is what he had gone through with John Mark. Because what he is asking Philemon to do for Onesimus is what Paul did to John Mark. Receiving a servant as his brother, to embracing him, to forgiving him, he felt the joy of seeing someone differently. Of not judging them by their past, of receiving someone who had done wrong towards him. John Mark went from a runaway missionary to an incredible gospel writer, Onesimus, from a runaway slave to a pastor. But I think what happened in Paul's perhaps is the greatest transformation. He went from an accuser to a mediator. He went from one who was accusing John Mark so much he would break fellowship with Barnabas. Now steps in and mediates for Onesimus, a runaway slave. His heart is transformed because he was able to see a person differently. I wonder who in your life you need to begin to see differently. Who in your story, who in your life, in your family, do you need to begin to see differently? Who is God softening your heart to words? It's been said that we should always keep people in wet cement, meaning we should never freeze people in our first impression of them, but allow God to change them and allow God to change the way you view them. Do you view people based on where they were, or based on who they are? Based on a stereotype, based on who they were in the past, or where they are today, and what God has done for them and in them. Paul here, experienced a change of heart. Experienced God changing the lens through which he viewed John Mark. Allow people the opportunity to change. See, we cannot pursue our community faithfully. If we don't see the people in our community through the eyes of our pursuer? How can we love and pursue people in our community if we don't see people through the eyes of our pursuer? Maybe they did wrong against you. Maybe you don't agree with them politically or socially, whatever it might be. But can you still see people immensely valuable, carrying the image of Almighty God and moving towards them? See, what happens in this journey of pursuing others is that God not only changes them... He changes us. Not only the people we're pursuing, but we. He changes us. He enlarges our heart. He makes our love more radical, our patience deeper, our extension of grace more real. He not only changes the people we're pursuing, He changes us. So who do you need to receive back? What relationship is there for you to mediate? Who is God changing the way you view? you bow your heads your with me as we close I don't know which of these stories you find yourself closely to if you are John Mark and you've ran away from God's mission and calling based on a disappointment or unfaithfulness in ministry he's calling you back find a place to serve if you're Ananias, you're running from God here is a moment where mercy and grace are offered to you if you're Paul stubborn in the way you view people God is softening your heart What's constant in all three of these stories is God, it's His grace, it's His mercy, He never changes. Today that same grace is available to you and to me. So Father, we thank you for the pursuit of grace that puts us right where Jesus is, that changes the way we view others, changes us from the inside out. Thank you that we are not condemned by our past failures, We're restored and made new by the power of grace. So now send us out. For some of us in this room, this is the moment. Today is the day we come to the prayer room or or talk to our online pastor about how we can begin this relationship, how we can yield our life to Almighty God. Give us boldness, give us grace to do so. And as we pursue others in our community, thank you that you keep expanding our heart towards people. We keep experiencing your grace in fresh and amazing new ways. Change us as you change others. We love you, we thank you. In Jesus' almighty name we pray. Amen, amen. Can we thank God for these stories today that have been preserved for our reading? God bless you. Have an amazing Sunday. Join us in the prayer room or welcome center if you've got questions. We'll see you back next weekend.